Welcome to the Health Business Growth Show, where we take you behind the scenes of the top health businesses to learn how they built their success. Remember, success leaves clues, and we're going to be sharing those with you. I'm your host, JJ Bergen, Inc. 5000 founder of the Mindshare Collaborative, along with members of our Mindshare Mentor team. And each week, we are joined by some of the most brilliant, innovative, and okay, slightly unhinged health business experts you're going to ever meet. These folks have built empires from scratch, navigated the choppy waters of entrepreneurship, and will be sharing both their struggles and their successes on the journey of creating a thriving health business. So if you're ready to take your business to the next level by learning from the best, you are in the right place. In each episode of the Health Business Growth Show, we'll tackle real-world, relevant topics to help you build your audience and scale your income. From marketing to mindset, from hiring to firing, and everything in between. We'll share our own stories of success and failure, interview some of the most amazing guests in the health business world, and we promise to never take ourselves too seriously. Because let's be honest, building your health business can be a bit challenging at times. Success takes resilience, creativity, courage, and a willingness to step outside of your comfort zone. And we are here to help you navigate through all of it. Find the humor in the chaos and build a health business that's truly worth it. So let's get this party started. We are so glad you are here. Hey, everybody. I am so excited because I have Mindshare Collaborative's secret weapon with me today. And it makes me so happy when she speaks for the Mastermind or speaks at the Mindshare Summit because I just watch people who just their jaws drop. They get so excited and gleeful as they listen to this information and then realize how quickly they can start to incorporate this into their businesses. Let me tell you a little bit about Sam Horn and you are just going to be blown away by what you're about to experience. She is the CEO of the Intrigue Agency, which is a physicianing messaging consultancy that helps people design and deliver TEDx talks, keynotes, funding pitches, and one-of-a-kind brands. Now, depending on when you're listening to this, Sam is our coach for our version of the Shark Tank at the Mindshare Leadership Summit 2023. We're calling it the Brass Ring, and we have ringmasters who are going to be making the decisions because she is that person who can help you. If you are going on Shark Tank, you want Sam in your corner. She's also the CEO of Kung Fu Training Institute, a trademarked communication skills approach that teaches how to give and get respect at work, at home, online, and in public. I'm going to just break in here, Sam. Kung Fu has been published in how many languages now? Like brag a little bit on that, then I'm going back over and pretending you're not here yet. 17 languages uh, from Russian to uh, Turkish. The National Public Library in China said it was the most checked out book from the China's National Public Library in 2018. That is just crazy. And that's just one of her amazing books. She's got 10 books, including Beyond Tung Fu. She has Pop, Someday is Not a Day of the Week. She did a uh, workshop for us on that book just at the end of the year last year that helped us all really get clarity on what we were going to do for the year. Got your attention and her newest, Talking on Eggshells which John Matthew, the founder of Whole Foods, called the course correct for today's cancel culture. And as you can tell, Sam is not afraid to take on the hard conversations. She really walks her talk. 
She has had the privilege of speaking to more than half a million people worldwide and for clients including Intel, Accenture, Oracle, Four Seasons Resorts, and the American Bankers Association. And do not forget the Mindshare Collaborative. Fun fact, Sam worked for Grand Slam tennis champion Rod Laver and played tennis at the White House. Holy smokes. At the White House. Okay, 60-second story, JJ? Yes. Okay, so I'm playing there with uh, the pro from our Regency Racquet Club and a uh, guy at the DIA. And the guy at the DIA says, grab the tennis balls, grab the tennis balls. I'm thinking, nuclear attack, nuclear attack. No, no. It was <laughs> President Ford's Golden Retriever Liberty bounding in to steal our tennis balls. So that's my memory of playing tennis at the White House. Sam also served as the pitch coach for Springboard Enterprises, which has helped entrepreneurs generate $26 billion in funding. I can't wait to see what's going to happen in Mindshare this year. LinkedIn hired Sam to produce a series on communication that's used by Amazon, Walmart, and KPMG to teach social skills, which she really calls power skills, to their employees. She co-founded the Business Book Festival, held at USA Today headquarters, and served as the executive director of the world-renowned Maui Writers Conference for 17 years. And our buddy, Sherry Salata, who is the former executive producer of The Oprah Winfrey Show and president of Harper Productions and OWN, calls Sam one of the bright lights and most accessible wisdom shares in our culture today. I am just so thrilled, Sam, to have you with us. And I know we're going to be talking about books today. I think you know a little bit about it. It's something that you, me, and Liz Marshall are working together on, produced exactly how to launch or relaunch your book. So today we're going to dig into books. And it's books 201, not 101, because this is beyond the basics. This is what you really need to know. I think where I'd love to start is why are you so interested, borderline obsessed with books? I really believe that books are a shortcut to making our dreams come true. And I saw that at Maui Writers Conference. People flew in from around the world because we did something unprecedented. We gave them an opportunity to jump the chain of command. You could pitch your novel to the head of Simon & Schuster. You could pitch your screenplay to Ron Howard. If you got a yes, the person's life changed instantaneously because it meant that they were going to get visibility for their message. They were going to get paid speaking engagements. They were going to get national or international media. They were going to get paid clients. And so that's what I hope to do for people on our call today and in our program coming up. Okay. You just said the best tweetable. I know you're known for doing the tweetable retweetables. And was it books are a shortcut to making your dreams come true? That's so good. I was like, oh my God, boom, right out the gate. (laughs) I love this so much because I think one of the most important things that all of our Mindshare members can do in all health, because I know I'm talking to health practitioners who have not yet come into our community come on in. The water's great. And uh, health business owners, I think one of the foundational things is to write a book. And it's really important. And one of the things that I love is that you kind of go against this idea that's so far out there about it starts with why. What's your bold (laughs) statement around that? Well, first, props to Simon Sinek for writing that book, doing that TED Talk, because it's made a difference for millions of people. So I understand the value of it. You know what, JJ? I have found if you ask someone, why did you write this book? That they often say a platitude. They often say, well, I wanted to make a difference for people. I wanted whatever. We've heard that before. So that's not original. And that's a prescription for being a bore, snore, or chore when we say something that's predictable. So instead of starting with why, share your where. And we're going to do this right in the room. Sound good? Okay. 
Okay. Now, JJ, are you working on a book? Yes, I am. Oh, good, JJ. I might be working on this book with Sam and a TEDx talk, just so everybody knows. She's my secret weapon. I'm going to share a 90-second success story to show what it's like. And then, JJ, we're going to do it for you, unpack it, and then everyone on the call can do it for their book or their business or their supplement line or their online course or whatever. Sound good? Yes. Okay, 90-second success story. A woman named Marilyn King came to me for consulting, and she wasn't getting much traction for her message, and she wasn't getting a book deal. Well, I asked what her topic was, and it was called Olympian thinking because she was an Olympic athlete. But you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Olympian thinking sounds very far away, distant, especially like if we're going through a divorce or have a health challenge or whatever. So I said, Marilyn, where did you begin? Put me in the scene where you began to care. Well, she grew up swimming. She was very tall and lanky. They swim against country club teams. They always made fun of her until the day she won all of her races. Then they turned around and tried to recruit her. She went home. She told her mom, I quit. Her mom said, you can quit as long as you pick up a different sport. So she picked up track. At her very first meet, she's getting ready for an event. And the announcer comes on and says, we're holding the East Coast Championship for the pentathlon. We only have two contestants. We need three to make it official. Would anyone here like to volunteer? Marilyn looked at her coach. She didn't even know the events in the pentathlon. She said, the worst I could do is be third on the East Coast. She tries it. She loves it. She goes home. She starts training on this abandoned track across the street from her. She comes home on the bus after school. Sometimes it's dark. She tapes a flashlight to the curb so she can see where she's going. She puts nail polish on the curb so she knows where to hurdle. She can't afford hurdles. After a few months, she realizes she's never going to get better training by herself. No one wants to run with her. JJ, she gets a dog. She trains the dog to run with her. I said, Marilyn, that's the best wear story I've ever heard. So do you see how it takes an intellectual topic, wah, 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 infobesity, and turns it into an emotional backstory because when we know where you begin to care, that's when we begin to care. Okay, ready to do this for you, JJ? Yes. And I just have to say one thing before we start, because I think it's so important, especially with what I see in social media, which is kind of a put-down culture. And I love how you're doing something different from what Simon Sinek did was start with why. But the way you reframed it was not to put down what the work he did, right? It was to differentiate why you're doing this. I just want to shout that out because I thought that was just magical and masterful how you did that. And that's important for all of us. You do not have to blow out someone else's candle to make yours shine, right? Ooh, you go, JJ. There you go. See, you're inspiring me. Okay. So what's the title of your book? What's your working title? My working title is Protein First, the Protein First Diet. Now, JJ, put us in the scene, not like, well, I know it's important because no, 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 nothing vague or amorphous put me in the scene where you came up with this idea or you realized you had to write about it. I think that we as women are in a very, very dangerous spot because for decades, we have been focused on losing weight, becoming smaller, becoming thinner. And that is creating a problem where in our 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond, we now are at risk for sarcopenia, frailty, et cetera. And I think about how I didn't have really weird body dysmorphia as a kid. I was thinking about this as you were going back. 
was in high school, my whole focus, because I wanted to be a stage actress and a dancer, was on being strong. And in fact, what I did in high school, we didn't have gyms back then, like we didn't have health clubs, but we had a gym for the football players at my high school. They were guys, they were big guys. And I went in the gym with them because my whole focus back then was how do I get strong? How do I build muscles? So that's what I'm carrying forward to now is if we really look at it, it's not about losing weight. We've been looking in the wrong direction. That if we switch our focus over to how do we get strong so that when we're in our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100, we've created a body that's built to last. We'll be able to do those things that we love doing now. We'll be able to do them then. And my goal is just continue to get stronger here right now. That's what I'm focusing on. That's how I'm celebrating my 60th birthday. Hey, I like all the above. Now, we're going to make that wear story uh, come alive. And for everyone watching and listening, the wear story is often when you're in a situation and you say, enough, you've had it. People are getting this wrong. I can't believe this is so backward. No wonder they're not getting results. So let's put this in a scene where maybe you're at the gym and you're listening to people say, oh, you know, I can't understand why I can't lose weight. I'm only eating a thousand calories a day. And the other one says, I know they're doing cardio, right? So you are in the room hearing these conversations and internally you're going, you're getting it wrong, folks. It's this, not that. And that's when you knew you had to do this. Well, here's where it really happened. Now that you jogged my memory about this, I used to go to a gym in Palm Desert at Palm Desert Country Club. And what was interesting about this gym is it was in two separate rooms. And in order to get to the gym, you had to walk down a corridor in the rooms. You could see both sides of the gym. They were in glass. One side of the gym was all the cardio equipment. And the other side of the gym was all the weight training equipment. And I would walk down. And what was so weird to me was that they didn't cross over. People would go either to the cardio or they'd go to the weights. But they didn't seem to do both, right? And, you know, I was a member of that gym for a couple of years. I kept walking down that hallway every day, looking right and left. And I thought, you know, as I look to the left in the weight room, I see these people and the average age in that gym was probably 50 or 60 years old. But I see people getting in better shape, more defined, stronger. But as I look to the right in the cardio room, I saw people actually not even staying in the same shape. They were getting worse. And I thought, what is making those people keep going over there? (laughs) What is motivating to them? And don't they see the people across the way and what's happening with them? It was such a clear sign to see that difference. But what's so amazing to me is that they couldn't see it. And I think it's because we're not looking at the right things. We've gotten away from trusting, you know, am I getting stronger? Do I look better to looking at the numbers on the scale. And the numbers on the scale are not going to tell us that information because it's just going to tell us a total number, not what that weight's made up of. So I'd always focused when I was a personal trainer on resistance training and doing just a little hit cardio training. I'd never focused on endurance training, but boy, walking that corridor, that was the clincher for me. Well, okay, folks and JJ, you two write this down, please. Specificity equals truthiness. Truthiness is a Stephen Colbert phrase. People, you heard the difference. And we're just going to play for a second, JJ. You know me in juxtaposition, so please put a vertical line down the center. Mm -hmm. Over on the left, put wah, wah, wah. 
any time we're explaining something or talking about our observations about something or our beliefs about something that's intellectual, it's wah, wah, wah. It's infobesity. It often goes in one ear, out the other, because we can find it on the internet. Specificity. You're in a Palm Desert gym. The people are 50 to 60 years old. There's the weight room and there's the cardio room. You had dialogue, JJ. You said, aren't these people seeing what's going on? Every single one of us knew it was true. Please write those words down. We knew it was true. And that's the heart of storytelling is when we know it's true. And we know it's true when we put people in the scene, just like you did with dialogue and visual details, and you reenacted it, JJ, you weren't telling yourself, okay, use a three-stage gesture here. You were going, I looked over here, I looked over there. That's when we become animated because we're reliving it. And it feels for people as if they are right there in that gym. Felt what a fabulous start with where story. Great. Thank you. And I totally forgot about it until you brought that up. You were such a good coach. By the way, please hear what JJ said, because I deal with so many people. We're getting ready for their TEDx talk or we're getting ready for their South by Southwest talk. And they say, I know stories are important, but I don't have any stories. Of course we have stories. Our life is our lab. All we need to do is to notice what gets our eyebrows up. If it gets our eyebrows up, it'll get other people's eyebrows up. Now just reenact what happened with dialogue and put people in the scene with vivid detail. That's all that a story is. And we've all got. Uh, That's so good. Well, I think you just segue to something really important because part of this whole thing is like, okay, where the heck do I start? Where do I start? I love this. And you mentioned Sherry Salata. So I get to tell my Sherry Salata story. And a Jody Picoult said, you can't edit a blank page. So we know we want to write, but the mind is blank. So what do we do? We're going to do something that Sherry did. So this was at a TLC meeting, a group that JJ and I are part of. And Ariel Ford was interviewing Sherry Salata about her career. And almost casually, Sherry said something in passing. She said, well, if I ever write a book, I know what I'm going to call it. And Ariel said, what? And she said, I did everything all wrong and it turned out all right. Oh boy, is that a drop the mic title or what? Because we know it when we hear it, folks. That is a got it going on title. You know, it's got iambic meter. And do you know what she said? Sam, I don't know where to start. Do I start, you know, when I started with Oprah or when I remember? And so I said, okay, Sherry, you're an executive producer. We're going to executive produce your book right now. JJ, we're going to executive produce your book right now. So you know where to start. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have paper and pen in front of you? Of course I do. I'm talking to Sam. We got to ink it when we think it, right? Okay. Please, on your notes, put 200 in the upper left-hand corner, just the number tiny up in the left-hand corner. Let's presuppose your book is 200 pages, right? It's not a 350-page doorstopper. It's not a who moved my cheese, right? Now, let's presuppose the chapters are only 10 pages long. Okay. Dan Brown of Da Vinci Code came to Maui Writers Conference. He himself admitted that the book wasn't well-written, but do you know what he did? He was the first commercial writer to have like two, three-page chapters. It set up a page-turner because it was so short and doable. It set up what's called the psychology of completion. If people are plowing 30-page chapter, it's hard work. They put it down. They probably never come back because they feel they're not making any progress. 
if you have chapters two, three, less than 10 pages, people get a little dopamine hit every time they finish. Plus, you're going to put a teaser at the end of the chapter, as he did, and say he opened the door and there was the last person expected to see. You're going to say, in our next chapter, we're going to share three things that are the opposite of what everyone has told you. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Now, JJ, let's do the math. 200 page book. Each chapter is no more than 10 pages. How many chapters do we have? 20 chapters. You got it. Boom. On your big page now, we're going to have four lines. Each line has five boxes. So one line, box, 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 box. Second line, box, 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 box. Okay. (laughs) So do you see we're going to fill up the whole page with 20 boxes, five boxes a line, four lines. Okay. Now everyone do this right now because this is how you storyboard your book. This is how you don't know where to start. I'm showing you how to start when you don't know where to start. Let me know when you got your 20 boxes. I got my boxes. Okay. Now, the very first box, upper left hand, just put intro. And now, by the way, JJ, guess what you put in your intro? My Palm Desert Gym story. Your wear story. Boom. (laughs) We're not going to say in this book, you're going to learn blah, 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 wah, wah, wah. No, it's going to be wow, 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 instead of wah, wah, wah with your wear story. All right. Now, JJ, I'm not going to ask you first what points you want to make. I'm going to ask you what stories you want to tell. So what are some turnaround stories, some light bulb go on stories, some client success stories? for yourself or the people around you around protein first? Well, I already know a couple. Put your gym in one of them, okay? Because that's one of your stories, right? The difference. Okay, what else is another story you want to tell about the power of don't get skinny, get strong? A book can change the entire trajectory of your career and catapult your brand. I can literally divide my professional career into two halves. Before my best-selling book, and after my best-selling book, because The Virgin Diet changed everything for me and my family. Now, I keep saying best-selling book, as well, I've got four New York Times best-selling books. The Virgin Diet wasn't my first, or even the second book I wrote. The difference was that starting with The Virgin Diet, I had studied what it takes to launch a book out to the world as a bestseller, and I followed that advice to the letter with life-changing results. Once I cracked the code, I repeated the process with my other books, Since then, I've helped multiple members of our Mindshare community do the same, including Dr. Isabella Wentz, Dr. Kellyanne Perducci, and Dr. Alan Christensen. Now, I love the phrase, success leaves clues, and this is especially true in the book publishing world. Whether your book still lives in your brain, is ready to be published, or is already out in the world, are exactly how to launch or relaunch your book teaches you those success clues. I'll be joined by best-selling authors and book strategists, Sam Horn and Liz Marshall, and you will learn the critical messaging that gets and keeps a book selling and is people quoting your book. You'll identify the right launch model for you based on your goals and commitment level. You'll discover how to build and leverage meaningful relationships to ensure that your book continues to change the conversation for the long term. You know, beginning authors think that the hardest part of the book process is writing the book while experienced authors know that it's all about the launch process to get your book selling and then keep it selling so that you can create the impact and income that made you decide to write it in the first place. This exactly how to launch or relaunch your book workshop takes place in the comfort of your home or office Friday, August 18th, and will be recorded so that you can continue to refer back to it. 
it's time to get that book out into the world. So to get registered, just join us at ms365.io forward slash E-H-T book. That's ms365.io forward slash E-H-T book. There's one great one. It's funny, I have two Vicky stories, but one Vicky story was this gal who came in and told me she needed to lose 10 pounds. And what was interesting is we worked together and it was, you know, probably took about a year to do this, but she put on like 10 pounds of muscle and lost 10 pounds of fat. She did not lose any weight. She dropped two clothing sizes. She looked amazing, like amazing. She was frustrated because she hadn't lost 10 pounds. <laughs> You know, and so it made me realize that we have so much education to do because people still rate themselves by the number on the scale versus my next question always was, well, what is it you want when you lose 10 pounds? What is that going to do for you? Is it because you want to change the way you look in your clothes? You want to be stronger? Because I was getting to the outcome they wanted because it didn't necessarily match what they were trying to do with the scale, right? But I didn't understand that till I went through Vicky. All right. In the next box, put Vicky. Now, do you see how all you have to do is look at that one word and it brings out the whole story and the rationale behind it, right? Now, people listening, though, what if she had started with the rationale first? Who knows if you'd keep reading that chapter, right? However, if you start with Vicky, folks start every chapter with a story. That's where you're original. That's where you're relatable. That's where you're Socratic. That's where people are identifying with your saying and coming up with their own ahas. And that's when they own it. Instead of feeling that they're being told to, they do it because they want to. All right. What's another story you want to tell? So that was Vicki M. Now I have Vicki W. Back when I first started in this world, and in fact, when I was in grad school, I was the rogue grad student because I decided to do all my stuff about how to build strength. And it was on lifting biomechanics. So how could I get you to be able to lift heavy, right? So this was not what we were doing things on. We were supposed to do things on cardio. Precor had given us all this cardio equipment and everyone did cardio research. And, and in fact, the whole thing back then was, if you want to lose weight, don't do weight training, do cardio till you lose the weight, then do weight training. And I was like, I thought that was wrong. So I get this client, Vicky, and Vicky W., this was prior to all of this. Vicky W was who really helped me shape this idea because Vicky W had damaged her metabolism so much from dieting for probably two decades, maybe longer of her life that she'd metabolically adapted so much because she'd lost so much muscle. Like when we lose weight, depending on how we're doing it, if we're doing it with cardio and low protein, we're losing muscle and fat, then we gain it back we gain more fat. And we get to a point where we've got this metabolic adaptation where our resting metabolic rate no longer matches what our body weight is. So even when we start to eat, we have to so under eat or we'll start to gain weight. And the only way out of that hell is by putting on muscle. And Vicky showed me that, that in order for you to be healthy, to be able to lose fat, be able to build muscle, you have to get healthy first to do that. You don't lose weight to get healthy. And in fact, you lose weight, you tend to damage your metabolism. Is this profound, folks, or what? And do you see how the story is the lead domino? I'll say it again. Stories are the lead domino of content. Because once again, it's where you're original. It's where we're listening. It's where we're on the edge of our seat. So JJ, if we had time, we could feel this right now. Or actually, what I recommend is we feel about 12 to 15 of those. 
like just write down in one of your box Ozempic, right? Because you have a story about Ozempic, don't you? I'm obsessed with all these weight loss drugs right now because I used to go around the country and teach this course called Overcoming Weight Loss Resistance. I actually think Ozempic has a place, but if you look at what's happening with this drug right now, first of all, you lose muscle and fat in about 50-50 and then your rebound weight gain, it's like these people are gaining all the weight back when they go off because they didn't address some very specific things. So it's going to fit straight into this. What I like the most about this is, you know, I've outlined this whole book, but I didn't outline the book this way. And as we're doing this, I keep thinking about James Clear and Atomic Habits. And I was just reading in Ben Hardy's 10X is Better Than 2X about James Clear. And what I'd heard from my little book mastermind I'm in with Mike Bukalowicz is that James had spent months on this first chapter. He made sure that people would not put down this first chapter. He had people read it. And the minute they stopped paying attention, he'd go and work on that and just refine it. But what strikes me is when you're doing these shorter chapters with a story that immediately pulls them in, right? And then you explain what you need to do about that information, then you tease them into the next chapter. That's what keeps people reading a book. And the bottom line is, if you want a book that gets out there and sells, it sells the most because someone read it and told someone else about it. So the reality is people are like, how do I have a New York Times bestseller? I go, it's Getting on the New York Times one time, maybe that's good for your ego, but that doesn't sell books. What sells books is writing an amazing book, pushing a launch big so people start to initially learn about it and making it amazing so they'll tell other people. Preach, JJ. People hear it. They hear the difference and they feel how excited they are about this project. Now they're emotionally engaged, they're emotionally receptive and motivated, etc. Furthermore, in a business sense, let's say what we're doing. You know, as you mentioned, I was the pitch coach for Springboard, 26 billion in funding, valuation, et cetera, in investing or startups trying to get funding. This is called a proof of concept story. And a proof of concept story wins over naysayers because if there are skeptics, if there are cynics, you know, doubters who are saying, "Eh, I'm not too sure about this. We can talk all we want and we will not convince them or change their mind. The only time they will change their mind is, JJ, when you're telling these true real life stories of people who have finally kept the weight off, who are finally healthy, who are finally doing this. And that's when they once again, they choose to because they want to and because they have a precedent and a benchmark of where someone else has done it. Now they think they can, too. See, you've got this and everyone watching, listening, what you do, remember, you're not talking about the points you want to make about the information. You always start with the story. So who is a walking, talking example of this? Who exemplifies this? Who's a poster child of this? Who's exhibit A of this? Start with them. Then the information follows the example. What I love about this is it fits so well because I never told you the story, but you know, back when I was on Dr. Phil for two years, the obvious thing was to go do a book. And I was traveling around the country teaching this course called Overcoming Weight Loss Resistance. It was a three-day course. And then people kept coming back to it because there was so much information in it, right? They're like, I got to take it again. And when I went to find an agent so that I could sell the book, I wanted to do the book on this. And I remember the first agent, who's a very well-known agent, and he goes, what's the hook? And I go, the hook is it works. He goes, that's not a hook. And then 
I went to another agent, another very well-known agent who's like everybody in TLC. It's like both of these are like the biggest agents out there. First one was Mel Berger. Second one was that gal who is everybody's like a Jack Campbell. Bonnie Solo. Bonnie Solo. Both of them turned me down. Bonnie was like, what's the hook? The hook is it works. (laughs) Not a hook. (laughs) So that was the big thing that happened with Celeste. Celeste actually looked at everything I was doing and said, it's the food allergy thing. I go, it's not an allergy. It's an intolerance. She goes, okay, it's the food intolerance. Drop seven foods, lose seven pounds, just seven days. There's the hook. So how would you like book hooks? How important? Let's walk through it. Okay. Well, by the way, some good news. We go really into detail in our program that we're going to be doing because I have a variety of ways to come up with a great book hook that gets people's eyebrows up. So we'll just share one today. Yes, because I think this is one that really slips up a lot of us in the health field where we have this amazing information and we're like, but it's science, you know, it's like we miss this piece of it. That's the important piece to drop people in. So the first thing why I believe never again, give an elevator speech is because when we tell people what we tell them and then we tell them what we told them, that's a prescription for being a bore, snore or chore. I know we've been told that. I help blank do blank. I do not agree with that. That is a statement. It is one-way communication. People go, oh, maybe they get it, but they don't want it. And they haven't said anything. So it's not a dialogue. It's a monologue. So here's what to do instead. So let's take it to a scene. It's Long Beach Convention Center. And I'm a judge for something called the Dolphin Tank. It's a friendlier, kinder version of the Shark Tank. So I'm looking at everyone's business plans the night before. Here's a woman. She wants to get funding for a hook you put your purse on in your car. I'm thinking, really? Because see, if she told us, we're gone, right? I don't think so. I'm not putting my money in a hook. You put it in your car, you put your purse on. Here's what she did, JJ, that changed the story. So there's maybe 500 people in this ballroom that can hold 5,000 people. She goes later. And so like we've already heard 10 pitches and like, quite frankly, no one's paying attention. We're checking our phones. We're talking with our neighbor. She hauls a full-size car seat to the front of the ballroom. You should have seen those heads snap up. It's like, what the heck is she doing, you know? And she puts the car seat down on the floor, and she puts her purse and her phone on the seat. And then she assumes the 10 and 2 position and starts pretend driving. She says, have you ever been driving along? You had to stop all of a sudden. Your purse fell off the seat. You're scrabbling around trying to find it with one hand on the wheel. Imagine never having to do that again. JJ, a man stood up in the audience and he said, I'll take two, one for my wife and one for my daughter. She went from a skeptical, really? I don't think so, to I'll take two in 30 seconds. So now here's what she did. Number one, she had a prop, make us look. Because if we're not looking we're not listening. So if you say, oh, my book's coming out on Amazon next week, well, hold up your phone just so people are thinking, oh, I can go on my phone and order on Amazon or carry your book with you everywhere you go. Oh, I'm so happy, etc. Carry a postcard of your book, a mock-up of the cover of the book so that you can show and not just tell. So you make us look or act out as she did. Step number two, act out the problem you solve. With these words, have you ever? And by the way, I like to tweak this a little bit. I believe it's not just have you ever, because some of you are dealing with insomnia or some of you dealing with dementia or some of you are dealing with 
brain fog. So we don't want to accuse people. We say, have you, a friend or a family member, ever had brain fog, insomnia, where you couldn't get to sleep at night and you couldn't lose weight no matter what you did? Guess what? We put a sock in it. We stop talking because they're going to go, well, I'm fine, but my sister, oh my gosh, she's so frustrated. She's tried every diet under the sun and nothing works for her. In fact, she's gaining weight instead of losing weight. Aha. Guess what we do then? We link what we do to what they just said. And we'd be sure and use the same language. So we don't say, oh, well, that's I do. My book is about no, 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 no. Two-way communication. We paraphrase what they said so they feel heard and that we actually listen to it. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear what's going on with your sister. You know, in case she's interested, one of the book has this wonderful story about a woman just like her who had done the same thing, had the same lack of results, and was finally able to look in the mirror and like what they saw instead of be eternally frustrated. So the three things are, number one, make them look. Number two, act out the problem you solve. Number three, listen and then link what you do to what they said. As you were describing that, I thought you saw, what, 10 pitches that day? Oh, yeah. Do you remember any of them besides the car seat? Right. So, you know, you think of these things. I was just at a Joe Polish meeting and he had a gal there who has something called a cooch ball. And she did a 10-minute talk about your pelvic floor to a male and female audience, where she was literally showing a picture of, you know, a penis and the pelvic floor. I was like, you are ballsy, girl. And she started with the have you ever questions, like everybody's leaning in. What she did was bring this little cooch ball up on the stage and she had Joe and her sit on these balls. I'll never forget it. None of us will forget it. Everybody in the room was like, wanted a cooch ball, wanted to sit on the cooch ball. (laughs) It was so good because she just did it and had such an amazing hook. Again, I'll never forget it. And I think about how many talks have you heard and how few of them do you actually remember anything? JJ, you're making this point so brilliantly because I work with so many people, once again, on really high stakes talks. I just worked with someone on their South by Southwest talk. They were on a panel. They only had 12 minutes on the panel. He had 30 slides and it was packed with information. And it was like, all the time and effort, you know, he spent a boatload of money on those slides and he had rehearsed his speech to death. It would have been in one ear, out the other and all that time, money and effort down the drain. Now, just as you said, everyone is going to remember the cooch ball. It's going to remember Joe Polish. They weren't even there. You reenacted that story in a way it came alive in their mind's eye, which increases retention and increases curiosity. I tell you, some people are online. Yeah, I got to go get a cooch ball. (laughs) (laughs) I know I have a different relationship with my pelvic floor now. Tim does. Like all these guys are like, I have a pelvic floor. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. What a fabulous example. It works on so many levels. This is fun, folks. You know, when we do this right, instead of being really serious, because, you know, we want a thousand people on our launch. We want a 37% conversion rate, you know, no, 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 no. You do this. Look at JJ. She's lit up. It's so fun. You're probably not thinking about how much longer is this, et cetera. You're having a good time. You're checking things out. You're, you're learning things. This is once again, a way that makes it a win-win for you and everyone in the room. I also think 
about how many things do I actually remember that have gone out there and happened? And why do I remember them? Like Oprah with her wagon of fat, you know, it's like everyone wants to have the viral video and it really just starts with this, right? And you made another important point. I've got to emphasize this because I hear this so often. I think it's the curse of knowledge for health professionals is, you know, we go to school and learn these really big words. And I had a mentor at 30 who said, you are not allowed to use anything that has more than two syllables. And I was like, what am I going to do? When I was at University of Miami at the time in their sports medicine program, I'm like, huh, how am I doing this then? You know, everything they've taught me is to say these really big, important words and to complicate everything out there. But, you know, she taught me then you've got to say the words that your customer, your client, your patient is saying. Otherwise, they have no clue and they won't ask. They just will go. Since you brought this up, you're right. We're not trying to impress. We're trying to connect. I hope every single person on this call starts keeping their client success stories with the dialogue. So when your nurse comes up and says, wow, Mrs. So-and-so just left you. She was walking on a cloud. You say, what did she say? And she said, I've been to 10 doctors before this one. They didn't even listen to me. They told me all my lab tests came back normal, you know, and after blank, blank months and blank, blank amount of money, I finally have someone who gives a darn, listens to me and is recommending things that are actually making a difference. Write that down because guess what? It goes in your book or it goes on your website. This is what I call story gold. And as you just said, when somebody says something and you think, wow, that's not wah, wah, wah. That's wah, wah, wah. Write it down. That's a story that goes in your work. I love that. Now, one thing that you said, which just made me smile because I always say, you know, I've never had an amazing idea sitting at my desk. It has never once happened. And as we were prepping for this, you said something about, you know, writing isn't done at your desk. And I was like, oh. Sometimes when I speak, I do my 10 lessons learned from 20 years of of writing and speaking and coaching. And that's one of them. Writing is not done at a desk. So as you know, we start with the story, right? So here's my where story where this became perfectly clear to me. The lights went on and the band played. So do you know DeWitt Jones by any chance? Mm -hmm. Okay. DeWitt Jones at one time was one of the top five speakers in the world. That's not just my opinion. Successful meetings said so. He was a former National Geographic photographer. And so I worked with DeWitt on his TEDx talk and so forth. And when he came to Maui Writers Conference, I invited him as one of our keynotes. We steal away for an hour to go for a walk on the beach. We're walking along and DeWitt will startle and stop and whip a notebook out of his little pocket and write something down. Then we start walking. We walk 20 yards, stop. And after doing this about five times, I said, DeWitt, what are you doing? And he said, Sam, you know, I make a living from my mind. You know, it's not just my speaking. It's like he's a a columnist for Outdoor Magazine, et cetera, articles for National Geographic. And he said, I used to get an idea, but I would be busy. And I would think, man, that should really go in my next blog. Or, oh, man, I should include that in my keynote. And I think I'll remember it. He would never remember it. And he said, I was throwing away the gifts that the muse was bringing me. And the muse gets ticked. And after a while, the muse says, if you're not listening, then I'm leaving. (laughs) And he said, so I started carrying a pad and pin with me everywhere I go, even on the beach. And if something occurs to me, I write it down in the moment. And he said these magic words, so I'm free to forget it. Isn't that beautiful? That you can go right back into the conversation. You can go right back into the client meeting. You can go right back into this, but it's there waiting for you 
when you're ready for it. So folks, please write this down. Your life is your lab. Your life is your lab. And if you want your work to be original, if you want it to ring and sing, then when the muse is nice enough to send you something, ink it when you think it. Jot those thoughts when they're hot, muse it so you don't lose it, and your work will come alive because you are leveraging the world, and that's when your content becomes one of a kind instead of one of many. Beautiful. You are such the queen of messaging. It's just incredible. There are no words for it. It's so incredible. One of the things that I've loved the most is watching you doing what you call pop seats with members of Mindshare, whether it's live at the summit or with our mastermind and just helping people like create their institutes, their brands, their book ties. It's just been fantastic. So I know you have a really great ebook that you're going to gift everybody, which we are going to put at ms365.io forward slash Sam Horn and let everybody know what you're gifting everybody. Well, this is never again give an elevator speech. And it is my clarity that what we've been taught backfires with most people because it is a monologue. So it goes into detail about how you can craft an elevator introduction that actually leads to meaningful conversations and connections, whether it's for your book, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's in a media interview, whether it's you giving an online course, it gets people's eyebrows up, it creates curiosity, and they want to know more, which means you just got what you care about in their mental door. Nice. All right. We are putting that again at ms365.io forward slash Sam Horn. Sam Horn, so much gold in this interview. Thank you so, so, so much. And I am super excited for everybody listening. Sam Horn and Elizabeth Marshall and I are doing a really cool exactly how-to virtual workshop on how to launch or relaunch your book. And by the way, that's for you if you have that book inside you that needs to come out, if you've written your book and you're ready to get it out into the world, or if you launched it and it needs a relaunch. <laughs> because, you know, I look at books and I think so many people orphan their book. They get it out, and then they like move on. Nope. Books are like kids, you got to raise them. So we are going to be doing that depending on when you're listening to this interview. You may be able to attend it live or get the recording. So you'll be able to learn more about that where you go to the, when you go to ms365.io forward slash Sam Horn as well. And Sam, thank you so much, not just for this interview, but for being such a treasure for our community. Like in Mindshare, our goal is to help a billion people get healthy by helping 10,000 of us health entrepreneurs, health business owners health practitioners, get our messages out in the world, build our platform, add income streams. And you are an integral part of that. So thank you so, so, so much for all that you do for us. Thank you, JJ. One last quote. My good friend, Dan Pointer said, if you wait to write, you're not a writer, you're a waiter. (laughs) (laughs) So don't wait to put these ideas into practice right on. So good. Here at the Mindshare Collaborative, we are committed to helping you increase your vision, income, and impact. One of the first things we'd love to support you on is adding a high profit leveraged income stream so that you can enjoy more time and money freedom. And to help you get started, I've created the Health Professionals Playbook for building multiple streams of income that identifies five proven strategies for creating a sustainable income beyond your primary practice to create time and money freedom. To get your free copy as my gift to you, 
go to ms365.io forward slash MSI. That's ms365.io forward slash MSI.